just to fill you in if this is your first time, Malachi, as I said earlier, the last prophet, the last book of the Old Testament. Before you we have 400 years of silence and before Jesus appears on earth. And a few weeks ago we did an overview of the book and we thought a bit about what was going on in Malachi's day. This is a time post-exile, so after the nation have gone into exile, to Babylon, they've now begun to return. The temple has been rebuilt, the walls have been rebuilt, people are now back in their land, worshipping God, the temple sacrifices have begun again. Um, but God's people are still under foreign rule, they're still, and they still have not received the Messiah. The fulfilment of the, the great promises of God are it's not quite there yet. And so God's people are a bit disillusioned, they're a bit annoyed, they're a bit sad, they're frustrated, they're disheartened, and this is causing them to drift away from God and to begin to break God's law again. And um, the book basically is various disputes that the people have with God and God has with the people. And we are kind of in the middle of the second dispute. Last week, Charlie began this dispute, and we'll think about that in a minute, and this evening we can conclude it. But I wonder, as you, as we heard that passage being read to us from Malachi chapter 2, thinking about these priests and the specific judgment and curse upon these priests, who were the leaders, the church leaders of the day, I wonder if you ask yourself the question, who would want to be a church leader? Who would want to be a pastor? If it's that serious. Who would want that kind of weekly responsibility of having to handle the word of God correctly and teach it truthfully, of listening and counselling people who are in great need and who are struggling and suffering, who would want to have the pressure of being people who are supposed to live an exemplary life that people look to and follow and judge. Charles Spurgeon used to say to his students who were training for the ministry, he said, if you can do anything else, do it. If you can stay out of the ministry, stay out of the ministry. I don't think he said that because he really regretted going into the ministry himself, or that he hated it once that he was in the ministry. But I think that he came come to realise that there was a great responsibility of the one who was to teach the word of God and pastor the people. There was that responsibility, the, the task, the pressure, perhaps, of what it meant to do it. And maybe he had, maybe he'd seen many men start down the road of ministry. The men who had perhaps given up, who had stopped, maybe because of sin, maybe because of the pressure, because of the responsibility that was on them as a leader under God. James tells us in his letter in the New Testament, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So those who teach, who pastor, who lead, those who are elders in the church, they've been given responsibility under Christ to lead God's people. Now, of course, at the end of the day, when we all stand before God, we will be judged by ourselves, for ourselves, how we have lived our lives, how we have responded to the gospel. But it is amazing, actually, how much influence church leaders have in our lives, how they influence and persuade decision-making, particularly in spiritual matters. Last week, Charlie took us through that first part of this dispute, back in chapter 1, 
And we looked at the false worship that was going on with the people. Their unlawful, their half-hearted attitude towards God. How they brought lame sacrifices and things that weren't according to the law. But Charlie also pointed out to us that actually it was the, the priests. They weren't doing their job correctly. They weren't correcting the mistakes. They weren't rebuking people for bringing bad sacrifices They weren't teaching the appropriate and necessary ways that was acceptable to God. And these priests probably were entering into this false worship themselves, bringing their second best to God. And God says, even in in verse 6 of chapter 1, he says that it's you, priests, it's you who show contempt for my name. And last week, Charlie spoke about the people and their responsibility, and he and how God rebuked them, and, and then he challenged us who were listening about our attitude towards our worship, and, and do we bring our best to God or not? Well, this week we're going to zoom in on the priests and zoom in on those who lead God's people, those who are responsible for representing God to the people in teaching, and those who represent the people to God through prayer. A large part of application this evening will be to those who lead, but there are many secondary applications for all of us. (coughs) You may not be an elder, you may not be someone who comes and preaches from the Bible, but there may be many of us who in some way or another do lead and do teach others, whether that is in a small group setting, in a home group, whether it's with the youth or the children in Sunday school, whether it's just in a one-to-one setting with, with a friend, or even in your family as you teach your children and raise your children, whatever it is, in some sense we, we do have influence upon other people. And even if we don't, we are certainly those who follow it from others. So what does Malachi tell us? What does he teach us about priests, about leaders, teachers? What are the warnings? What are the consequences of poor leadership of sin. And as Malachi points us forward to the New Testament and points us to Jesus, who is it that we see has set up that ultimate example of of perfect priestly leadership? (coughs) So firstly, let's look at the, the sins of the priests. God, through Malachi, has has outlined the sins of the people and the priests, and we saw that in the previous chapter. If you weren't here, you can have a quick, a quick glance. Chapter 1, from verse 6. People who were bringing lame animals and bringing inadequate sacrifices to, to worship. They were contrary to the law. <coughs> and, and now Malachi is, God is speaking through Malachi and he's saying there's going to be curses, there's going to be judgments if the priests don't change, if they don't repent. Verse 1 He says, and now you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honour my name, says the Lord Almighty. So there are these warnings that a curse is going to come if they do not change. But what what is the guilt of these priests? How are they not honouring God's name? Well, you have to kind of skip down to the end of the passage. So have a look at verses 8 and (coughs) 9. But you... So God talking to the priests. You have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. 
You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. So they turned away from God's way. See, the error of these priests, it it didn't start in the temple, it didn't start with false teaching. It actually started at home. (coughs) It started in their own lives, in their own personal walk with the Lord when they decided to stop living for God and stop living his way, stop believing and trusting in him. The priests and others were those who who knew God's word. They had responsibility to teach it. They knew the law. They knew how they were supposed to live. They also knew of the promises and the, the predictions of the, of the Messiah that was to come, the restored kingdom that was still on its way. But we know, they just noticed that these things had not been fulfilled yet. It had been probably a hundred years since they were back in the land, but they were still under foreign rule and they were carrying out their sacrifices, fulfilling priestly duty, but just becoming tired and disillusioned. Day in, day out, offering sacrifices. Was it really making any difference? Did God really care? Life was tough. (laughs) Work was hard. Revival hadn't come. How about unanswered prayer? Cynicism to things that go on in the church. A bit of compromise here, a bit of sin there. It's not really going to make much difference. And these thoughts can begin to creep into our minds. A lack of church growth, increased pressure from the world outside to compromise. And it's not long before those thoughts become things that we believe and then they influence our behaviour and they influence leadership and influence the teaching and the pastoring of the church. The priests had violated the covenant, they dishonoured their relationship with God, they doubted him, they didn't believe that God was keeping his covenant with them, he'd failed them and had abandoned them. So through their doubt, through their accusations, through their passive behaviour, through not really caring about keeping people obeying the law, their minds had become numb and they no longer corrected false teaching. They gave in to their responsibility. And so through that, through compromise, through dodgy teaching, they're influencing people and they're causing many to stumble. It's often very easy to think about false teachers, to think about people who are bad leaders and point the finger at other people and to look at other churches perhaps who who have failed, look at pastors who have failed, to look at those who have compromised the truth and are teaching it in their churches. Though leaders in even this church are not exempt from this guilt, there will be times or there are times when (coughs) temptations to compromise, when temptations to fall into sin will be right there hot on our heels. False teaching doesn't just come out of nowhere. The devil is clever and he's subtle and it can come slowly and it will come slowly bit by bit. Maybe a lack of self-discipline, overlooking sin in ourselves and in, in other people. It starts first of all in the private life and then it influences the walk and then influences those who, who watch. So if if you're a teacher, if you're an elder, if you're a junior church teacher, if you're someone who does a one-to-one with people, 
what are the warning signs? The way that you live your life, the way things that you teach, are you careful to make sure that it is right and true according to God's word? But like the circumstances of Malachi's day, are there circumstances in our lives which will cause us to compromise and cause us to be disheartened and to kind of walk away from God? I mentioned before, unanswered prayer. The burden of other people's worries that weigh upon you. The pressure to compromise biblical truth. Paul tells Timothy in his letter in the New Testament to, to watch his life and doctrine closely. His life and his doctrine. Because both of those together affect ministry. They affect the influence that he has on others. Timothy's charged to, to preach the word, to correct, to rebuke, to exhort with sound doctrine. Because he knew that there were people in the congregation, people in the church who, who wanted them to compromise. He wanted them just to tell them things that they that were nice. He talked about tickling their itching ears. Just saying nice things and not telling them the truth. As leaders, in whatever shape or form, we need to be careful how our life and our doctrine affect others and ourselves. The sins of the priests and the consequences of sin. So this passage is zooming in on these leaders and God is calling out curses upon them. Read with me from, from verse 2. <clears throat> I will send a curse on you. I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honour me. Because of you I will rebuke your descendants, I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. A gruesome description of curses that were to come. God says that he will curse their blessings. Verse 2. We've seen already how people have suffered in the context. They're kind of suffering materially. They're suffering from their crops not growing very well in Malachi's day. And we'll think about that in, in chapter 3. But here the priests are suffering a curse. The priests, their blessings, their material blessings would come from the people. As people brought their tithes and offerings. As people brought their animals to sacrifice these are the things that the priests would live off. They would use that money. They would use the animals, as, as some of the animals anyway, as, as, as food. It was their livelihood. So perhaps for God to curse their blessings would mean that he's going to remove that. Or at least decrease the money that would come in. and It would make life difficult for them. Maybe by God cursing their blessings, he means that God will curse the blessings that the priests give and pray to other people. As the nation would come to the temple to offer their sacrifices, priests would pray prayers of blessing upon them. And maybe because of their sin, God would not listen and would ignore that blessing. Secondly, God says he's going to rebuke their descendants. There are a number of suggestions of what this might mean, but I, th I think probably he's referring to just gonna, he's going to reject the future priesthood. That he would Ignore and those who would come up afterwards, 
their priestly work would just not be good enough for God. The priestly line was passed down to the children of those who were priests of the day. And all the priests, all those who would work in the temple and were involved in the worship, were all from the same tribe, the tribe of Levi. We'll think about that in a moment. But perhaps God is saying he was going to cut off that line. God said a similar thing when he pronounces judgment through Hosea. He says, because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of God, I will also ignore your children. The more priests there were, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. So the leaders of God's people have influence upon others. And God takes that sin seriously. And thirdly, this graphic language of what God says, I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. Whenever the priests would bring sacrifices and burn them on the altar in the temple, there are obviously many procedures and laws they had to fulfill in doing this, and certain body parts were to be burned at certain times, and blood sprinkled in different places. But there were some parts of the animal that weren't used, parts of the body that were just discarded. The animal's dung, for example, and some of the internal organs, they were just discarded, and they were not to be sacrificed. These parts of the body were unclean. They were not fit for God. And so they were taken way outside the camp, outside of the city gates, and they were burned out there, away from God's presence. And so God is symbolizing that this is what he's going to do to the priests. They were God's people who had responsibility to teach what was truth, but yet they'd rejected God. They dishonored him. They were leading people astray, and so they needed to be removed. And so through all these warnings of curses, God is basically saying that the priests, you need to be removed from your office. Now when we think about how God deals with church leaders today, we, we have to take it through Jesus, of course. And God deals with sin in leaders in a, in a different way post the cross. Jesus has taken punishment for sin upon himself, upon the cross, and we'll think about that in a moment. But there are times, particularly when there is unrepentant sin and false teaching, that, that God does deal with church leaders. He does bring discipline and he does remove them from their office. There are sadly many stories of church leaders who have fallen, who have sinned, who have had to step down from being a leader. There are stories of godly Christian leaders who have compromised on truth, who have started to, to teach false truths, started to teach sin even, and of causing people in their congregation to stumble and fall. I grew up in, in a church <coughs> when, when I was a child, the pastor sinned sexually. It became public, and he was removed from office, and it affected the church. The church has never been the same since. This man, he, he left the church. He was still a Christian. He did repent. He was restored 
many years later. In Christ there was forgiveness, there was grace, there was restoration. But there are still consequences of sin. There's still collateral damage, you could say. People get hurt. People go on and sin themselves. They see their church leader do it, then they think that I can do it too. And that did happen in this situation. People become disillusioned with and disbelieve the things that leaders are teaching them because they don't seem to be living the life. Maybe you've experienced that yourselves. A major sin of the priests in Malachi's day was that they were guilty of teaching false truths or, or not teaching what was correct in terms of how people should worship And when leaders in the church begin to compromise on truth and on doctrine, it will go on and influence people and it will cause people to stumble. And so the sins of leaders, the sins of all of us who have influence on others is is serious. Jesus talks about the fact that it's bad if you cause one of his little ones to, to stumble and fall. It's better for you to have a millstone tied to your neck and for you to be thrown into the sea. But as we look at sin, as we look at the shortcomings of the priests, as we see the seriousness of sin in the church, we of course have to look at ourselves and we, we may think of times when we have sinned and it's caused others to stumble. Perhaps times when we have preached things that are not true and have caused people to, to believe things that are contrary to the word of God. And we realise that, that we are guilty as well. And, and it means we need to look for a priest that is not like that. To look for a priest that is good and is right and teaches only things that are true. To look for a priest who can actually offer a sacrifice that will deal with our sin and our shortcomings. We need a priest who has no sin. See, the call to be, to be a leader, to be an elder, to be a, a Sunday school teacher is, is an important responsibility. Not just what we teach, but how we live, because it's observed by those who follow. And as you read in this passage, we see that Levi, Levi was the tribe of Israel that was, that was set apart to be holy, to be the ones who would conduct worship, to show the people how to do it, to be in the temple, to be in the tabernacle and, and conduct and lead the people in worship. The priests were a part of the tribe of Levi. So Aaron, the brother of Moses, and his future sons, they were the priests who would lead the people in worship. God made a covenant with the nation of Israel at Sinai in Exodus. And part of that big covenant, there was a smaller covenant, a deal he made with the tribe of Levi, that they would be the ones who would be responsible, the ones who would respond to God and lead the people. Read with me from verse 5 of what this covenant was to be like. So my covenant was with him, with Levi, a covenant of life and of peace. And I gave them to him. This call for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was on his mouth, 
and nothing false was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of the priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is a messenger from the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. The covenant made with the people was one of to bring life and peace, a new relationship with God. They would know him, God would be with them. They'd experience that, they'd experience his blessing. They'd experience peace in the land, freedom from their enemies, prosperity. And this covenant was to produce fear and awe as the people saw who God was and saw all that he'd done for them in delivering them from Egypt. They would see what a great God he is and they would be in awe of him and they would be in fear to want to live for him and obey him. But for the priests in Malachi's day, they had violated that covenant. They dishonoured God, they doubted it, they rejected it. They were far from being in awe of God. Levi was called to walk with God in peace and uprightness and they had turned away and walked their own way. Instead of preserving knowledge, verse 7, they were speaking and speaking true instruction. They showed impartiality to the law. False teaching, a lack of rebuke, a lack of correction, causing many to stumble. Those who would look and seek instruction from the lips of the priests were left to go astray. Now these priests in the Old Testament were never, they were never going to be able to live up to the perfect standard that the law required. They were never going to be able to fulfill the priesthood fully and truly. Sacrifices of the Old Testament were never going to truly atone for sin. And all throughout the history of Israel we see the leaders, we see whether they be judges, whether they be prophets or kings or priests, they all stumbled and fell. And, and often the king was responsible, was the head of the whole nation. And as they sinned, they led the nation into sin. But yet we know that there is one priest, there's one prophet, one king, who was able to keep the covenant perfectly. One who not only was able to do that, but one who was also able to offer the perfect sacrifice once and for all for sin. No prizes for guessing who that man is. For Malachi, for the people in Malachi's day, they were looking forward to this man, to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would come and fulfill the covenant. But for us, we look back. He has been already and he's, he's fulfilled his priestly duties. He's offered that sacrifice once and for all. Jesus in the Gospels proclaims to his disciples that He's one who lives in full obedience to the Father. He's walking in his way. He's fulfilling the purposes that he came for. You read in Luke of Jesus becoming, growing strong and being in favour with both God and men. Jesus, like no other priest, knew what it was to walk in perfect life and peace and uprightness. Jesus, who was one with the Father, and rather than needing to stand in awe of God's name, he's given God's name and he comes to proclaim it. 
Jesus, the one who really did have truth upon his lips, and nothing false came from him. Jesus spoke truth, controversially. He said, I am the truth. And Jesus, in his life, displayed perfection, displayed perfect love and discipline. He loved the law, he taught the law, he corrected the false teachers of how they taught the law falsely. People looked at his life and his example. They saw his power, they saw that his life matched his words, and he turned many from their sins. Just like the covenant with Levi. And through Jesus' priestly duty, he didn't offer another sacrifice of an animal, but he offered himself as the perfect sacrifice if he died upon the cross. Animal sacrifices offered day in and day out were never going to pay for sin. They would only cover it up until one perfect human sacrifice was made. Jesus. Jesus was a sacrifice, but more than that, he was the one who took upon himself the curse. The curse of sin, the judgment that's due to us all because we've wandered away from God's way. Humanity, ever since that first sin of Adam and Eve, is under the curse, under the curse of sin and death. But yet Jesus took that curse for us. And Paul tells us in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. So friends, when it comes to, to our worship, the worship that we should rightly give to God of all of our lives, that we, just like the people in Malachi's day, fail to give every day. In our own efforts, all we ever do is bring lame animals and diseased sacrifices that are never going to plead for Lord. But in Christ, in Christ we are made right before God. Our worship is made acceptable because we're in him, we've trusted him. Jesus is our priest, he's our representative before God. And he's freed us from the curse of sin and death. There's forgiveness, there's new life, there's a there's life of peace that will last forever. If you're a leader... If you are someone who teaches and preaches God's word, who has spiritual influence to some extent on others, our job is not to do the worship for others, but our job is to walk humbly before our God, to walk in peace and uprightness by the help of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to, to teach the truth, to preserve knowledge, to be God's tool to, to represent him to others. Let it be our prayer that we will be people who live such good lives that we can join Paul when he says, follow my example as I follow Christ. Maybe we have been hurt <coughs> by the sins of others around us in the church. Maybe we have been subject to false teaching and it has confused us and it's led us astray and, and caused us to stumble. But we know that in Christ there is forgiveness, that there's healing. 
maybe you're not a leader, or not a leader right now, but you are someone who, who follows under others, who, who watches and looks for the leaders and the elders of the church. May I encourage you to pray for the leaders, pray for your elders, pray for your pastors. Pray that we would walk humbly and rightly before God, that we would daily watch out for sin and be aware of it. Pray that you would not just accept and listen to anything that we say, but that the word of God would be our authority, that Jesus would be the one that ultimately we follow. And to all the world, all those who perhaps look upon, look on from the outside, maybe people who are feeling a bit disillusioned, not necessarily with the church, but just with life and the empty promises that the world seems to offer. <coughs> may, may people look to Jesus and see the great promises that he has to offer. Promises of deliverance from sin, a new life, a new relationship with him, freedom from the curse, and a sure hope for the future. Let's spend a, a few moments just, just quietly by yourself and, and pray. However the Lord may have been speaking to you this evening, whatever the particular circumstances that have come to your mind, why don't you just quietly pray to the Lord? <coughs>